I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service at Ananda Village. And I'll be reading from the rays of the one night light, uh, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda based on Paramahansa Yogananda, Yogananda's teachings. And I am Nayaswami Parvati. Joining me today is Nayaswami Pranabha. The topic for this week, by thinking can we arrive at understanding. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. There are many places in the Gospels where we see Jesus in open conflict with the Pharisees, that is to say, with man-made as opposed to true mystical tradition. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 15, we see a good example of how they and he locked horns. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem came and asked Jesus, why do your disciples break our ancient tradition and eat their food without washing their hands properly first? Jesus, after scolding them for their hypocrisy in observing lesser rules so carefully while ignoring the much more important ones, said, Listen and understand this thoroughly. It is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him common or unclean, it is what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It wasn't that Jesus counseled against such wholesome practices as washing one's hands before eating. In an age, however, when lesser rules were given too much importance relative to the truly important observances, cleansing the heart of impure desires, for example, he emphasized the supreme importance of loving God and of communing with him. The Pharisees, the orthodox religionists of his day, in other words, had brought true religion down to a level of intellectual hair-splitting. They mistakenly considered the way to understanding to lie through a minefield of definitions which they tried to refine to ultimate exactitude. Jesus taught, however, that the intellect alone can never lead one to truth. Without love, indeed, there is no ultimate verity. Without fixity of purpose, born of the heart's devotion, the intellect wanders endlessly. It cannot settle for long on anything. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the intellects of those who lack fixity of spiritual purpose are inconstant. Their interests end endlessly ramified. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, 
I'd like to share a reading <clears throat> taken from Paramahansa Yogananda's book of prayer demands, Whispers from Eternity. O infinite alchemist, spiritualize our weaknesses into strength and our wrong thoughts into right thoughts. Grow thou a flower of divine understanding from every seed of activity. With the magic wand of foresight given by thee, teach us to transmute the ugly imps of selfish ambition into fairies of all-serving, noble aspirations. Train, Lord, each stallion of desire to become a champion racing for thine abode. Transform our base ignorance into the goal of wisdom, that it become a liquid stream of spiritual goal, rushing steadily to thy shore. I sense that for many of us, maybe most of us, that we affirm and we hope that we're actually getting somewhere with our spiritual endeavors. And indeed, it is so. But for some of us, there may be times when we feel forlorn. We feel there is a gap between our hope, our intention, and what we're actually experiencing. And we may be in tears, you know, just feeling that, that separation, that sense that maybe, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not doing the right things, maybe something else is blocking this. And indeed, something else is blocking this. And it has to do with our karma and how we're relating to life. That whether that karma, which is happening in our lives from our decisions, our directions, that may be from today. It may be things previously in this lifetime. Or it may, as we recognize reincarnation as a part of the whole scheme of things, there may be those layers that may be well hidden that come from previous incarnations, previous lifetimes. And some of those layers of karma are hidden. They're kind of seeping into the fabric of who we are and cause disruptions that we may not even understand or relate to. Or sometimes they may just come out and be karmic explosions, karmic bombs. But whatever we're dealing with, if we can put our focus more on where we're going from where we're at now, then the true understanding that comes is going to be beneficial. It's going to be effective in what's happening in our lives. Because it isn't if thinking is a bad thing. It's just that what we want to do is find the true essence of our intuitive perception coming from that divine blessing from God and let that flow through our thoughts, through our intellect, through our thinking. But as Patanjali points out as one of the obstacles when he writes in the Yoga Sutras, it's that we can miss the point. You know, it's like the story of these two men that are out fishing in their little boat out on the lake, and they, they come to a spot where they're catching the fish in great numbers, and it's just a wonderful experience. And at the end of the day, one of them says, you know, we've got to come back here tomorrow. This is such a good spot. But how do we know where the spot is? And the other guy says, I know. 
Let's mark an X on the bottom of the boat. Well, good luck. But it's sometimes how we relate to life. We miss the point. We don't really bring into awareness what's going to bring us fulfillment. Or one of my favorite movie scenes is from the Pink Panther movies, um, where uh, Peter Sellers has played the part of Inspector Clouseau. And in this scene, he's um, tracking down the former chief inspector who's turned into a villain. And he's tracked him down to the Swiss Alps, and he goes into this country inn. And he goes up to the reception counter, and there's a receptionist there. It's an older man that's pretty sleepy. And Clouseau notices a dog lying calmly on the floor. And he asks the receptionist, does your dog bite? And the man is kind of dozing off. And so Clouseau says with a stronger voice, I said, does your dog bite? And the man shakes his head and says, no. And then Clouseau bends down to pat the dog. And the dog jumps up and tries to bite him. And Clouseau recoils. And he says to the receptionist, I thought you said your dog does not bite. And the man says, that's not my dog. And that is what life gives us at times, that we we're making assumptions. And that's another thing that Patanjali relates to in the Yoga Sutras, that we make inferences that aren't based on a deeper, true reality. And that leads us to steps that take us away from, really, the sense of fulfillment that we're seeking. And so there are things in this world that, if we pay attention to, we can shift the awareness of them robbing us of our true nature and taking us outward into more of maya, more of delusion. And we can set our direction appropriately to really feel what's trying to happen in a positive way. So that whatever happens in life, we're able to feel the real blessings that are inherent in that. Because as we know, hopefully we remember this a lot, uh, that the challenges in life are there set before us as a real gift. They're bestowed upon us to allow us to grow past the karma that's really sitting there and producing the problems in our lives. One of the things that we've probably all experienced in this past 12 months, because here we are at the end of February in 2021, that we've been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic for these past 12 months, is that the, the sense of security uh, has been well challenged in most of us, that uh, many people have had to leave their jobs. Um, many people are dealing with circumstances that are just producing great fatigue. Many people know relatives or associates or friends that have passed because of the coronavirus. And then, of course, in our country alone, in the United States, over half a million people have died from the consequence of the coronavirus. And this is real, that we feel our security is undermined. We're just not quite sure. Uh, and often we can react and overreact by tempting fate, by just rushing out into the world, uh, saying, I can deal with this, I'm healthy. And perhaps our good karma allows us to do that but we may have an effect on other people. What we're really trying to feel is greater stability. 
We're trying to feel that there's some firm um, earth that we can stand on, some firm space that we can be in. And that's important that we actually have that, that we move in that direction of being more grounded, of having a firmness in who we are. Not being dogmatic, though. When we have dogmatism, we tend to dig our heels in. We're not just grounded, but we're digging into a position, an idea, a way of looking at things. And what that does, it creates almost inevitably a separation from others. And we find that really in the world around us. There's just greater polarity, greater isolation from other people. And that will never be productive. We need to be clear. We need to find our firmness. And yet we need to have openness. You know, three weeks ago, in early February, that the uh, professional football world had its Super Bowl championship game. And the winning team was from Tampa Bay. And at the helm of that team was the quarterback, Tom Brady. Now, this was Tom Brady's seventh Super Bowl championship. Seven. That's remarkable in the field of athletics, of any endeavor in athletics and sports. And up until last summer, he had played only with one team for about 20 years and had won six of those Super Bowl championships with that other team. And he came to a team that had struggled for quite a few years uh, in success and not doing that well. And so it was an interesting uh, step for him to take. But a number of years ago, I heard him talk about the emphasis of how he tries to really be successful in his game as a quarterback, throwing passes to his receivers. And he emphasized that it had to do with his footwork. Very interesting, his footwork that he tried, he endeavored, he did his best, he trained, he worked, he refined on this to have a real stable position that he would throw from to have strength in his throws and greater accuracy. And that certainly came through. But what was interesting, he said, at times it isn't always possible outwardly to find that right position. Um, that I, I may be off balance, he said. After all, He's being rushed at with 300-pound-plus defense players coming down on him. So there are times when he couldn't get that outward stability as much as he wanted to. But he said the references there of working with that, that refinement of being uh, firm and, and centered, that he would make the throws even if he was leaning off to the side or you know, having these four big men right in front of his face, that he was able to do that. And likewise, that's for us to keep in mind that life will throw us a lot of just intense challenges at times. And they may take us off our balance. But if we remember back to what that balance really is, then we can feel, we can sense rather than just think, we can sense what is trying to happen here amidst these challenges. The other thing that we face at times is that our energy can be dissipated. It can be pulled off course by numerous things. For instance, the senses. The senses can, can have us so that we're indulging in our life's experiences. And the senses, understood correctly, are not something to be shunted, to be avoided. But we need to shift from them controlling what's happening in our lives to something that's 
we're able to express our true nature through. Now, one of the images that's most dominant that people have seen from the Bhagavad Gita or the Mahabharata is the scene of Arjuna and Krishna in the chariot. And Arjuna represents you and me, the devotee. And Krishna represents the Lord, the divine. And Krishna is seen in the illustration with the reins in his hands. And the reins go out to the five steeds, the five horses that take the chariot onward. And this is really important because the devotee has given the reign of the senses to God, to the Lord. And these senses are reined in. So the senses are not in control of our lives, but the divine holding that connection is allowing that energy to flow through the senses. So the senses don't determine, they don't demand. There's something we work through so that we can enjoy the taste of something wonderful. We can enjoy the beautiful sights that we see with our eyes and so forth with our other senses. But we want to feel that we're not just letting the energy be dissipated by our desires, our attachments. We want to be in that essence of that experience so we're more fluid, we're able to flow with things. You know, it is interesting that when Paramahansa Yogananda talked about the energization exercises that he developed, he had this phrase, the greater the will, the greater the flow of energy. And then the corollary, the greater the flow of energy, the greater the magnetic field or the greater the magnetism. Now, the emphasis is on not the greater the will, the greater the energy. It's the greater the will, the greater the flow of energy. And it might just seem a point of semantics of usage of words, but it's very significant and it's very subtle, but very revealing that we tend to, from our conscious mind, think of energy of being contained. But if we shift it to more the flow of energy, we can be in that experience, tuning into it and realizing it. So when we do the energy station exercises, the point isn't just to be at the result of that tension that produces energy, but also to be in the flow. And when we're dealing with life and trying to tune into its essence and live more from that intuitive perception inside, then tuning into the flow allows us both a greater magnetism, but also a greater reality check. Because there are times when, because of circumstances, um, whether we're confined to a bed, for instance, or we've injured a body part, we may not able, be able to function and do outwardly the energization exercises, as this example. We, we can always tune into visualizing and tuning into the flow of energy. And truthfully, that energy will flow because the energy is always flowing. What we're doing is using our will and awareness to tap into being alive, being that energy itself as the flow. So very important to be fluid. You know, I was thinking about um, in this physical world, uh, how energy is and how energy flows. And I was thinking about water and rainfall. And California is finally catching up having more rainfall, but uh, we're still behind this year in terms of the average rainfall amount that we really need. But I was thinking of permaculture gardens 
and how they work with water. And one of the techniques is to build swales. And swales are a combination of ditches, trenches, and burns that allow rainfall to be captured in a natural way so it just doesn't run off. Um, that it's able to work with water as an element in the garden and allows it to be more nourishing, more nurturing to that which is growing in the garden. And we likewise want to be that way with the, the flow of things. We want to work with how do we cooperate, collaborate with that flow. There are times in our lives when we, because of the insecurities, because of the unknowns, because of um, just feeling out of it, we will overreact. We'll react and then we'll overreact by trying to control things. And that really is an effect on the people around us when we march strongly in that direction because we do cause separation. We cause some estrangement easily if we think we need to control the situation, we need to control people, we need to manipulate things so they work for us, and it's a hazard zone. If you think about this when you're working with people, um, like you're a manager in a situation, you've got people working under you. There's a big difference between a, being a boss and being a leader. A boss tends to want to manipulate things, to move things around, to uh, decide things, to implement things. But a leader works, as Swami Kriyananda has uh, emphasized and written a book about, is to be a supportive leader that art of supportive leadership. Because what we're tuning into is what's trying to happen in this situation. We're, we're not trying to just get what we want. We're trying to nurture a connection. We're trying to be alive with other people. We're trying to be alive in situations. They're not just inert things that we're going to overcome. There's an energy flow. There's a dynamic course of, of that magnetism that's there that the more we open up to and find ourselves supporting what's happening around us, supporting people in our aura. And it's a nice way to think of it, in our aura. That when we're around people, whether it's a Zoom call or a live streaming Sunday service, that we wrap our aura around that connection with others. Because then we're nurturing the direct essence of our soul with the direct essence of other souls. When we, when we feel kind of cornered, when we feel the fatigue of challenges as the coronavirus pandemic has produced in probably most of us, maybe all of us, is that an aching that happens for us is our hearts. Because we're not around people physically. We're not being in that close association outwardly with people. And that's, that's challenging for us. But what we can falter with is getting into our emotions. And the way that yoga relates to emotions is that they're the entanglement of our desires, our attachments, our likes and dislikes. And what we want to do is shift from that emotional base of relating to a more 
upward aspiring energy of devotion, that we want to let our hearts open expansively, not open to more emotional entanglement, but through devotion, opening up, being with people with divine love. You know, to some degree, our little self, our ego self, wants to love others. We, want, we emphasize, I love you. And the emphasis maybe too often is on the I love you. And of course, we want to feel that reciprocating love. We want to feel love touching us from others, whether it's an intimate relationship or a more general relationship. It's something that it's almost a seed within us that's wanting to be explored. But we will find only disappointment if we come at it from the emotional emphasis. You know, it's interesting, and again, it may just be semantics, but it is interesting that years ago, I remember a number of times Swami Krinanda talking about the word passion, saying that passion involves an emotional entanglement. And uh, so from that, I've tried to shift my use of that word uh, instead of saying, well, my passion in life is, or I'm very passionate about something, whatever that, that might be, to shifting it into my energy and magnetism are this way, or I feel energetic and magnetized by this. Because that allows that shift, and again, it may just seem like a small point of semantics, but it allows us to shift. And once we make that shift, we can open up to not the dynamics of my needs, but the dynamics of being open as an instrument. Because the more that we can settle the heart's disturbances, the more we will find our love is not just our love, but the love of God. And then what we find more and more as we share that love in whatever form is appropriate, that we find that love growing our relationship with the one love of God. And that is a deep understanding, a deep, deep realization. But we also can be caught, you know, we're on the path some months, we're on the path some years, perhaps we're on the path decades. Actually, for most of us, we've been on the path for many lifetimes. But in this lifetime, you know, what can happen is that we can be pulled by restlessness. You know, sort of the phrase, been there, done that, you know, here I am meditating for, what, the uh, 250,000th time in my life. Whatever it might be, we can slip almost in, a, in an octuous way to, okay, I'm going to meditate. You know, or the attitude, well, whatever. But if we just shift that a little bit, that, oh, whatever, to being dynamic and saying, Whatever life gives me, I accept. But it's more to do with the energy, but it has to do with the attitude, that we're not just casual, but we are relaxed. 
Isn't that interesting, that difference? That being casual with life means that we're not in it. We're just exploring from the outside, looking at it, and maybe touching it, maybe engaging. But as devotees, the more that we can orient ourselves from being inside, from being there already, then what we're able to do is be an instrument of blessing. You know, Swami Kriyananda talked about that in calmness, for instance, that our voice, speaking, singing, chanting, even humming, can carry a blessing, can, 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 can really allow us to continue to be that open instrument that touches people and the world around us. We're separating ourselves from being caught by the little ego and coming more to our true soul nature more and more. And we're uncovering that more and more. And when that comes to a greater fruition, in that realization, that is the true understanding that we really can live by and live in the divine presence. Let's take a moment in meditation in whatever way you feel to drawn to, to feel absorbed in the inner experience. I'm going to play a composition of Swami Kriyananda's called Love is Ever New Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> 